Hello and welcome to Maintain the Flame with Keith Collins, the program where we anticipate an experience with the Lord on each and every episode. Thank you so much for listening today, and my prayer is that you will be strengthened, encouraged, and challenged in your daily walk with the Lord as you listen. The primary purpose for this program is to be a source of inspirational truth that will not only awaken a deeper hunger within you for more of God, but also a source of encouragement when it comes to maintaining a deep passion for the Lord. Leviticus 6.12 says, The fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. This Old Testament verse spoke into the sacrificial burnt offering practices of the temple, and it reflects the fact that we as the bride of Christ are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we have a responsibility to steward our walk with God and to maintain His flame that He has ignited in our hearts. I am your host, Keith Collins, and I invite you to join me now as we explore biblical truths that help us to maintain the flame of God upon the altar of our hearts. Hello and welcome to another program of Maintain the Flame. I'm Keith Collins, and again, I'm just so blessed to be with you again this week. I'm so encouraged with what I am seeing, even as I'm out traveling, and as some of you know, I I travel out and minister quite often. This past weekend, I was actually in two different fellowships, two different churches in the state of West Virginia, and just, again, just encouraged with the hunger, with the, the thirst for the Lord that I'm seeing um, this coming weekend, I'll be in Steubenville, Ohio, preaching at a dear couple's church that are dear friends with myself and my wife. And, um, you know, to be honest with you, most people that want me to come in, they do so because they're hungry for revival. They're hungry for a fresh touch of God. They know the passion in my heart. They know what, what the Lord has burdened me with and you know, oftentimes they'll they'll hear messages on prayer and, and repentance and intimacy with Jesus and getting back to our first love, um, revival, as, as well as other things. Matter of fact, this past Sunday I actually preached or taught kind of both on what it means to have a biblical worldview in a postmodern world. So there are several things that I carry in my heart and things that I feel like the Lord has impressed upon me to teach and to preach in this hour, but. To be honest with you, I, I guess I would consider myself more of a revivalist than anything else. There's just something on the inside of me that has such a passion to see the church walk in maturity, to see the people of God be a people of prayer and divine intimacy with the Lord, to see the power of God demonstrated among the people of God. And as a result, we impact the world for the glory of Jesus, and we are doing the work of an evangelist, and we are not ashamed of the gospel. We take the gospel to the streets. You know, it's it's kind of a sad thing that a lot of churches have become so production-oriented and so Sunday morning service-oriented that that we have kind of lost the meaning of why we gather. When I read the New Testament, the gathering of the saints was not so much to reach the lost, even though, of course, I believe that happened, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I think Clearly, that does happen, and I, I've pastored a few different churches over the last 37 years, and there were clearly times in a Sunday morning or even a Sunday night or a Wednesday night gathering back you know, 30 years ago when we had three services a week where you know, people were clearly brought to the Lord through a message of salvation, and there's a place for that. But when I look at the New Testament, it, it seems very clear to me that 
the gathering of the saints, whether it be in a building or in a home, that the gathering was for the, the fivefold leaders to equip the church to do the work of ministry outside of the four walls of the church building. And in the midst of that, there should be prophecy. There should be tongues with interpretation. I mean, the gifts of the Spirit should be active. Paul gives us instructions um, in Corinthians of, of how this should be done orderly and so forth and so on. But sadly, we've, we've come to a place, I believe, where, where our gatherings, our corporate meetings are focused primarily on reaching the lost. And the sad part of that is this. A lot of times the church grows a lot um, outwardly, and there's, it, but it grows um, thin, or in other words, it, it's shallow growth. There might be a lot of people and a lot of noise, but there's no real depth. So listen, yes, we preach to the lost. Please don't misunderstand me. Yes, there are times when the spirit of an evangelist will be upon me, even in a public Sunday morning church setting in America or even around the world. However, I also realize that according to Scripture, those gatherings are to equip us to do the works of ministry, to do the work of Jesus in our generation. Therefore, there should be a focus on prayer. I was in a church this last Sunday morning where the service started at 10, but at 9 o'clock the people were there praying fervently, going after God. And um, you know, I was encouraged by that. So I say all what I just said to say that I believe the Lord is moving. I talked to a dear friend of mine. Um, who's, you know, being used of the Lord in a mighty way right now around the world. And he told me that he is encountering the same things in the places that he is going. So I do believe that we are on the cusp of something powerful, something supernatural. And even though a lot of people have written off the young generation, I believe God has a plan for them. And I believe the Lord's going to arrest, arrest their hearts and bring them into the saving knowledge of Jesus, into a fresh baptism of fire, and their lives are going to be used to give glory to Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Well, thank you so much again for being with us today. And I want to continue on what I've been talking about for the last three weeks, and that is first love fire. As I've shared over the last few weeks, I did write and have a, a, a new book published recently, several weeks back now, eight or ten weeks or so. And the name of that book is First Love Fire. The subtitle is Living a Life of Sustained Surrender. And you're able to go on Amazon and pick that book up. And I would encourage you to do so, not just because I wrote the book, but I do believe that there is a message within the covers of this book that, that needs to be out there. It needs to be heard. And, um, and I believe the Lord burned this message into my heart. So please pick up a copy, maybe a couple of copies. You can give one away. Or if you read your copy, make sure you pass it on if you can. Uh, again, if not, buy a couple. But, but anyhow, I'm staying within the, the confines of this book for a few weeks because I believe that the message here is important. And today I'm looking at chapter 3 some. And over the next several minutes, I want to just share some some thoughts and some highlights from chapter 3 that I believe are so foundational to our walk with God. They're so foundational to our obedience unto the Lord and even to the, the call of God upon each of our lives. And how many of you know that every one of us that are born again of the Spirit of God, there's a calling upon our lives. Now, we're not our call to... To leave America, maybe go to Southeast Asia, even though some of you are. We're not, our call, we're not all called to plant a church or maybe even be a Christian business owner. But whether we work at a retail store or we teach in a school 
or maybe we are a contractor, maybe we're an electrician, or maybe we are a church planner, whatever the calling upon our lives is, every one of us are called to do something for Jesus, and therefore we need to be equipped by the power of the Holy Spirit. And um, and I believe what I'm going to share today is so important to all of our callings. And actually, the, the title of chapter 3 is simply, Love is Higher Than Sacrifice. Now, we know what the Lord told Saul, that to obey is better to sacrifice to the prophet Samuel. And that is so true, and I completely agree with that. But but I want to tell you that that I believe there is a, a higher um, dynamic, there's a higher realm than obedience and discipline and sacrifice. And, um, and that is the realm of love. Now, you might ask, what do you mean by that? Well, listen to what David Livingston, David Livingston, of course, was a missionary many years ago in Africa, had an amazing impact and didn't see a lot of fruit, especially in the early years, but the fruit of his life continues to prophesy and even into our generation. But listen to what Livingston said. He said, if a commission by an earthly king is considered an honor, how can a commission by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? Now, there's truth in what Livingston says here, and, and I want us to just kind of ponder this for a minute here. David Livingston said, listen, if a king calls you into service, and that might even be to go to the front lines of battle, and of course, you know, when we think of a king, we think more of medieval periods, so forth and so on. But, but anyhow, when a king calls you into service, whatever that service may be, it is such an honor and it's such a humble thing to embrace. And many people, I mean, generally embrace it with or have embraced it with vigor, with loyalty, with, with faithfulness, and it's a powerful thing. So Livingston said, if that's the case, then when Jesus, our heavenly king, commissions us, how can it be considered a sacrifice? In other words, if Jesus were to stir your heart and send you maybe to an island off the, in the Pacific Ocean that maybe 35 people lived on the entire island, or maybe 300 people, and it was maybe a, a tribal group of people, and that was your commission, then Livingston said, that's not a sacrifice, that's a great honor that the Lord would entrust you to do such a thing for him. And this kind of brings me to the point of this chapter. There is, um, there is a commissioning in all of our lives that comes by a radical love for Jesus. Now let me say, there's no doubt that discipline and sacrifice are key components, deeply intertwined within our Christian faith and journey. Um, you know, Jesus refers to us as disciples, and that, that word is used multiple times in the New Testament. And just the the reality of what that even means, that we are disciplined followers of Jesus. So I'm not doing away with discipline. In no way do I want to tell you that um, that that we're not called to, to sacrifice and discipline and all the inobedience. Those are all very, very biblical, and they're, they're key themes in our walk with God. But listen, even Peter says it this way, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. So listen, I want us to understand that that we definitely have a call to righteousness. And again, First Peter chapter 1, 15 through 17 there calls us into a life of holiness and obedience. However, 
I want to say something here. Um, if our obedience and our discipline is simply fueled by nobility and even by human determination, then oftentimes we falter along the way. And the reason is because it's not fueled by love. You see, I am I'm convinced that when Jesus is rightly preached, when he's rightly seen in the midst of his church, as Livingston said, the commission that Jesus gives us is not a sacrifice, but it is a joy. It is an amazing blessing that we have, and it's, a, it's an amazing opportunity that we have. And what fuels us, friend, we are fueled by love and not just religious duty or even legalism. Some people are fueled by legalism, which is basically rules with that relationship. But listen, holiness that's built on legalism will cause you to strive and work hard, hold you to the impossible standards that, that you think are important, and kill your passion for God oftentimes. Now listen, I, I believe in holiness. I believe in righteousness. I believe that we are to keep our eyes pure and our ears from hearing foul things as much as we can. I'm I'm all about that. But listen to me. My calling is not just to strive in my flesh to look a certain way to other people. My calling is to be so divinely connected with Jesus with such an ongoing, incessant revelation of him in my heart and in my life that it is my love for him and it is a revelation of his love towards me that keeps me in a place of righteousness and holiness and purity there's there's a story that comes out of second samuel that um that really stood out to me as i was writing this book and i've you know i've i've read this uh, many times this is second samuel chapter 23 and verses I think 13 through 17 or 18. But in this story, David is with some of his men in the cave of Adullam. Some of you know this story well. And and David simply cries out or he bemoans, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink of the water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So, you know, the, the, clearly David could have actually been thirsty and there's a possibility he was. But, you know, some scholars believe that that David was grieved. Why? Because the Philistines had taken over his home place, his place of birth, Bethlehem, the city of David, where, of course, Jesus would be born in eventually. But, but, but David probably remembers what it was like to have access to the well of Bethlehem, to, to live in that place. And now he's in this cave and the Philistines have taken over his hometown, his city of birth, his, his city that he loves so much. So David bemoans, oh, that, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem. So again, there is some scholarly thought that, that David is referring to the fact that he wants his city restored back to its rightful place and for the enemy, the Philistines, to be removed from the city. However, there were a few guys that that heard these words from David, and they literally risked their lives and crossed the enemy lines in order to get a drink of water for their king. Now, to me, friend, that is a picture of love. And, And listen to me. This is what makes the difference in this story to me. David did not command them, go get me water from the well of Bethlehem because David knew he'd have been sending them into an ultimate death or or at least a good chance of death 
if they would have went into that place. But these men just simply heard their king. And out of love for him, loyalty for him, faithfulness unto him, they literally risked their lives to get water for their king. Again, David didn't say, you have to go. But David just made mention, oh, that I wish I had water from the well of Bethlehem again. And these men, out of love, out of loyalty, again, risked their own lives. But I want to show you something. Even though, of course, it was sacrificial on one level, the love that they had for David, I believe, was far above the sacrifice or the fear that they might have had in their own natural humanity or their natural human spirit. And I believe it is a, it's a picture of what it means to really love Jesus, that even though sometimes the calling is challenging. And, you know, I've got friends, and some of these friends were my students at one time, and they're laying their lives down for different parts of the world, and they are training up nationals, whether it be in Asia or in Africa or in South America or um, Germany or wherever they're at, but they're literally laying their lives down in Europe for for nationals to be equipped, to be trained. They're, They're reaching the lost. They're going into dark places like where human trafficking takes place, and they are rescuing young people out of human sex trafficking and and putting their lives on the line. And, you know, I know that's sacrificial, but I also know that many of them, if not most of them, are fueled by a love for Jesus, a love for dying humanity. So my point this week is this, my friend. You can be faithful. You can be diligent. You can be disciplined. You can be all those things. But there's a greater force that the Lord calls us to walk into. And that is the force of this radical love that we have for Jesus. Paul said it this way, What shall separate me from the love of God? Shall principalities, powers, height, death. He goes on and on. What is he saying? Friend, nothing can separate, even death, nothing can separate me from the love of God, the love of Jesus Christ. It is his love for me and that revelation that awakens a supernatural love for him that that it's no sacrifice. It's it's an honor to lay our lives down on whatever field of labor that is, whatever field of ministry that is. And that might be in America. That might be over. It, that's not the point. The point is this, friend. When we serve Jesus out of radical love, we are fueled by radical grace. And there is a force called eternal life. Paul told Timothy to lay hands on eternal life. There's a force of eternal life that surges through our being that equips us to do the works of Jesus in this generation. And we're not carried about by challenges and changes and and disloyalty from others and people abandoning us and financial pressures or whatever we go through. No, there's, there's a love that's it's almost like a tractor beam. It pulls us in to the purposes of God in a very powerful and a very, very supernatural way. When I look at the lives of the martyrs and I see those that laid their lives down for the gospel, of course, the the first being Stephen, the first martyr of the church in the book of Acts that we read about, where Saul of Tarsus, who became the apostle Paul, oversees this martyrdom. But, but the Bible said that 
after Stephen proclaimed truth to these religious people, that they became so angry that they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears and they ran at him with one accord and they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. They gnashed on him with their teeth. But as Stephen is being killed, what does he say? As he's on his knees, his dying words were, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. Friend, what kind of love is this? Stephen didn't say, Jesus, if you love me, you wouldn't let me go through this. No, his blood was shed, but the blood of Stephen and martyrs throughout history prophesies that Jesus is worthy of it all, that eternity is more real than human pain and human suffering, that The challenges that we face in this earth are, Paul called them, light momentary afflictions compared to the glory that awaits us and even the glory that's present for us now. Paul said in Ephesians that we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. So my friend, there is a force of love, the love that Jesus has for you and in return, the love that you have for him that far surpasses, and I mean far surpasses anything that you're going through, anything that you might go through. We we look at the lives of these men and women throughout history that have, have laid their lives down, and I'm, I'm reminded of a gentleman by the name of John Huss who was really influenced by John Wycliffe, and of course Wycliffe was a forerunner to the Protestant Reformation, but um, Huss had had witnessed the abuses of the the Catholic Church and even the Pope, and and he began to to speak out and begin to really look towards the truth of the Word of God, and and because he was unwilling to turn away and to recant and to take back what he was saying. He was burned at the stake, and and they they tied his body to a stake, and they set a fire around him, and his body was engulfed in flames. And at the heat of the crackling fire that engulfed the body of John Huss, he was not found weeping in pain or even crying out for mercy, which would have been a logical response to this painful and barbaric torture. No, instead we see Huss, as he begins to sing, history records this, he begins to sing, and praise God. And before the flames were even lit, Huss was given one more opportunity to recant his belief and renounce his views towards the church, but he refused to do so. And in his final moments, he literally sang a hymn of the church with such a joyous refrain that his voice could be heard above the sound of the roaring flames before the fire would eventually quiet his song of praise as he left his mortal Restraint. When we look at this picture, friend, I don't just look at a man that was so dedicated that he laid his life down, that he was not willing to compromise the faith and the truth of the gospel, but I see a man that had been captured by the love of Jesus, a man that had come to a place to where, listen, that his faith was so glorious that his his final minutes, his final moments, his final seconds was a picture of glorious praise, joyous praise as he entered into eternity. And listen to me today. I I believe that there are many people that are serving Jesus out of religious duty. 
There's some that are listening to me today. You've never really been born again of the Spirit of God. What do I mean? I mean, you've been noble. Maybe you said a prayer, but you've never really been born again. Maybe you were pressured by family to say a prayer so you don't go to hell and all these kind of things. And again, some people, I believe, do get saved by praying a sinner's prayer. Don't misunderstand me. But there are many people that just adapt religious um, behavior patterns because of family, because of grandparents or parents, but they never encounter the beauty and the holiness of Jesus. Well, my friend, I'm telling you today, you must behold Jesus. When you see him, when you behold his beauty, when you behold his glory, when you behold how much he loves you, when you see afresh the cross of Calvary, as I shared a couple of weeks ago, then there is nothing on this earth, there is nothing in this world that can take your eyes away from him. Oh, you might allow yourself to fall into compromise and sin, but but listen to me, that's your own doing. But when you come to him and you see him, I'll say this, nothing ever satisfies you again, but more of him. We've got an entire church world that has learned how to do church and how to do Christianity without Christ, without the holiness, the beauty, the power, without an understanding of the radical price that Jesus paid for our sins. And friend, I believe the Lord is speaking to you today. You know, when I first met my wife-to-be back in 1985, June of 85 in North Carolina at a Christian youth group, we were both at the same youth group, she was from her church up north, and I was from my church in Florida, and we met, and I knew that I loved her. I was young. I was a teenager, but I fell in love with her, and I wanted her to be my wife, and I wanted us to do ministry together, and we've been doing that now for um, 37 years almost now, but anyway, long story short, and this is a long story, um, I went back home to Florida, but I was so in love that I knew that I had to see her again, so I began to do anything I could to where I could afford to buy a plane ticket to fly to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which is the closest airport to where she lived, from Tallahassee, Florida, and back, just so I could see her. And I had to work, and I had to do what I had to do, but I never considered that work as sacrificial. It was a joy, and she was who I was going to see, and my love for her was what fueled my desire to do whatever it took to get up there and see her. And, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a small analogy compared to the radical love that we have for the Lord. However, it, it does speak to the fact that when you really fall in love with Jesus, and I'm not talking about your church or your pastor or your leader. Again, we should love them, of course. But when you fall in love with Jesus, for nothing but more of him, and I said this already, but I want to say it again, nothing but more of Jesus makes sense to you. And let me ask you a question as I close. What has captured your passions, your desires, and your love. Is Jesus the thing that you see? Do you have a single focus and a single eye for him? Because I believe he's calling you into a deeper place with him. I want to pray. Father, arrest hearts right now as people around the world hear this this broadcast, Lord, this program. May they come to the saving knowledge of you. May they never, ever, ever be the same again. And may your fiery love awaken their hearts to know you as they never have before. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening today, and thank you for your prayers. You know, we covet your prayers, 
And let me invite you to visit our ministry. You can go to keith-collins.org, or you can also visit us at impactgf.org. On both those sites, you can learn a little more about us, as well as where we're going to be out ministering. I'm in many locations over the next several months, and we'd love to see you if you are in our region. But we also ask you to, to share this, to subscribe to this, if you're not a part of this already. And again, let people know that Jesus loves them and that he can change their lives. And friend, we are looking forward to being back with you again next week. God bless. Thank you so much for listening to Maintain the Flame with Keith Collins today. I trust that you've been blessed and encouraged as you've listened. And if you hunger for a greater passion for the Lord that will not dim or subside, then let me encourage you to listen weekly to episodes that will encourage you in your walk with God. To learn more about our ministry, you can visit us at keith-collins.org or impactgf.org. May the fire of God burn brighter and hotter in your life. God bless you.